Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Hey, I'm Sean. I'm one of the pastors on the team here, as Brenton mentioned, and I um, have the great opportunity to kind of dive into the Word with you. And I thought I would do something a little different today because I am uh, getting prepared to go back. And as some of you know, I've been doing squats. And so I thought maybe instead of sitting as I've uh, taught before and maybe as all of us have taught before, I was going to try and stand and just get these legs ready for standing somewhere maybe close to uh, our church or being in our church real soon. And so, um, hey, I, I just am excited. And so these legs are ready to go and stand and stand with our church and stand together. And so I, I put on pants today, which is a good thing for all of us. And uh, I want to dive into um, Acts with you today. So if you have your Bibles or you use the phone, um, go to Bible Gateway, and I'll be in Acts 1. But I wanted to start in a story that um, several years ago I had the opportunity to travel to um, Israel with some great friends of mine. Some of them uh, go to refuge as well. And uh, we got to go to Jerusalem. Well, I got to travel all of Israel, which is kind of cool. But we were in Jerusalem, which is, as you know, where the, the Temple Mount is, or the historic temple is, right? And that was destroyed and uh, has since been kind of uh, remodeled and the Temple Mount is reshaped. And since then, through different transitions and history and religions, um, the Dome of the Rock is now centered over there. And there's a mosque on top of what was once a historic Jewish site, which is also very symbolic to a Christian. So all three of the major religions are hugely impacted by this Temple Mount. And I, I remember um, they have scaffolding that um, leads you up to it, and it's a ramp, and uh, there's security that's super tight, and it's really kind of kind of intense. The whole thing was is is intense, and you go through security, and then all of a sudden you walk out, and you're on this gorgeous Temple Mount, and it's just just like can see forever of rock, and uh, there's a mosque on one side, and then there's the the dome of the rock on the other side. And, and it's just, you, you just can sense like the history and the impact and the, even God's presence. But what's crazy is that uh, there's a group of about five or six of us is the, the, the guy that was guiding us and said, Hey, um, they don't like to see men gather together um, that aren't Muslim. Um, so let's split up and go our own ways. And so we did, we kind of split up into pairs of people and we went and prayed. And, and the deal is, is if you're not Muslim, you can't pray up there. So we thought, well, we're going to pray anyways, but we're going to just do it in a way that we just keep moving. Well, behind us were these gentlemen dressed in all black, the the, the Jordanian police, the wakfa is what they're called. And they're unarmed, but they followed us all around and kind of had this ominous presence to us. Like, it's just like kind of strange. And behind them were the Israeli army military with huge ARs or Uzis, or I don't know exactly what they were, but they were definitely automatic weapons. And, and so here we got this trail of people kind of following us around as we're trying to pray over this sacred, sacred ground that right now is controlled by the Muslims and it's in Israel, which is Jewish, and is historic to Christians. And one of the key areas, uh, besides the overwhelming presence and beauty of the space and the Dome of the Rock is obviously a very uh, archa um, architecturally beautiful uh, feature, um, was this one kind of gated off area 
Uh, we entered on the west side, which is where the western wall is, the wailing wall, the prayer wall, many of you have seen before. And we started kind of heading toward the east side. And on the east side, there was this area that was kind of barricaded off. And it was kind of struck me as odd. There were guards standing literally on this eastern side. And I was kind of caught off guard by what was going on on this eastern side. So this is, this is where we're at. And then you're Sean, where are you going with this story? Well, I'm going to take you a little bit through Acts, and then maybe we'll land the plane with telling you what is going on with this eastern side of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. So we're in Acts 1, 6 through 14. I'm going to read it. I uh, printed it out a little bit bigger for me, so because my Bible print is getting smaller and smaller. My eyes are fine, but the Bible print is smaller and smaller. So Acts 1, 6 through 14, follow along with me, if you will. When the apostles had come together, they asked Jesus, Lord, is this the time when you will restore the kingdom of Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up towards heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All of these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. What a great passage that is. That passage is filled with so many things that we could talk about today. And I have a short amount of time and so many things that I'd love to say, but you could talk about uh, the ascension and you could talk about this devotion to prayer. You could talk about them being gathered. Um, you, could, you could talk about uh, being given the power of the Holy Spirit. You could talk about the evangelistic journey of going, right, to the ends of the earth and to everywhere, the city of Jerusalem, you know, the region of Judea, to Samaria, which are the people that you're not supposed to go. That's kind of the unknown land. Like you're, that's the, the dangerous area and to the ends of the earth, right? We could talk about that. And there's so many things that we could talk about. I kind of wanted to go verse by verse and just speak into some of the key parts of this passage um, and and kind of dive into some of it. Now, Luke's writing this. Uh, this is his second book. This is a continuum of his book that's self-titled Luke. And uh, he's right um, and keeping track uh, of the history of the early church. And that's another thing we could talk about. This is the beginnings of the early church. And that's kind of cool in and of itself. And we could even talk about that. So so many things we could talk about. I'm going to break it down for you. So it says in the first uh, verse, uh, the apostles had come together. This is the last time that, that they would be gathering physically with Jesus. This is the last time that they would uh, be uh, united as, as uh, the disciples under their rabbi, their teacher. And so um, this, is a, this is kind of a, a key time. And it's... Um, it's interesting that they would ask a question like, are you going to put things back to the way they used to be? Are you going to return it to like how it was? 
I kind of like God, like Jesus, you you came to be the Messiah and restore things to the way they were. And so this is a question they pose. And many times it's even how our minds think too, is we ask questions about like, when is it gonna be the way it was? When is it gonna return? And even in the midst of what we're going through, you think, oh man, when is it gonna go back to how it used to be, right? So a little further along, um, he, he, he clarifies with them in the next, next section. And uh, it says, he replied, it's, it's not for you to know the times or periods uh, that the Father has set by his own authority, right? So even Jesus is giving all authority to the Father in heaven while he is here on earth. And uh, and so he's reminding them that um, this is not for you to know. It reminds me of that scene from um, A Few Good Men, you know, with Tom Cruise and uh, Jack Nicholson in the courtroom, right? And and they're, they're standing there, and Tom Cruise is this young lawyer trying to pull the truth out of him, right? And he's, and Jack Nicholson finally so frustrated with Tom, who's kind of badgering him, like, what did you do? What happened? What happened there? And uh, Jack Nicholson is like, you can't handle the truth. That's kind of what, how I picture Jesus. Now, nah, maybe not. Uh, Jesus is probably a little more tender and kind. Kind, but that's kind of what, what he, he's saying is like, you can't handle the truth anyways. You couldn't handle this. If if I told you the time, you couldn't handle the, the truth, right? And so um, those, those are like the, the way that Jesus responds to our questions sometimes is that you couldn't handle that answer anyways, right? But he does something really cool. And he says, he says, next, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. He, he basically is saying that there's, there's, this, there's this alternative thing that is going to be received. And so maybe you're going to miss out on the knowing dates and times, but you're going you're gonna to find purpose and power through my Holy Spirit, right? And so I, I love that, that uh, Jesus kind of changes the tone of the conversation away from when you're going to restore it to how they're going to, and what they're going to participate in receiving power of the Holy Spirit. And so a little further along, there's these two men that show up in white robes. And I don't know about you, but man, if somebody suddenly appeared after I'm watching kind of Jesus ascend into heaven, I, I think I'd be a little freaked out, right? And so, um, uh, I, I I think that the, the, this this transition happens right that the, like man I I uh, I don't know if I'm ready to see these guys as as Jesus was ascending right but I love what he says in in that next verse he says and you'll be my witnesses he says you'll be my witnesses right and this is Luke language here Luke talks about this in the first chapter of Luke he goes I wrote this all down and I used eyewitnesses right and this is how Luke talks. He's a, he's a logical thinker, and he, he puts together all the information, and he makes sure he has all his data lined up. And, and man, uh, Acts 1, one of the most significant passages to the church and, and to me as a believer, talks about the same witness that we get to be. So early on, well, and Luke is writing in Luke, it's, he used eyewitnesses to share Jesus' story. And now Jesus even says that we are going to be witnesses to share his story, the story of Jesus. Isn't that cool how in the same first chapter of Luke and Acts 1, we've got this idea of eyewitness and witness. And I just think it's, I think it's really cool that, um, that Luke does that. So, um, so they're watching, and Jesus has ascended, and this is this is a mystery, right? There's this cloud, and and it it ties us back to the Old Testament. There's language there that would tie you back to um, 
Enoch and Elijah, the cloud even on Mount Sinai, there's this cloud language. It's a bit of a mystery, right? Is it's that Jesus is ascended. He's assumed. We hear that language too. I went to Catholic high school. So there was this assumption that happens, right? And so I, um, I, love, I love the language. I love the idea that Jesus, uh, who was never dead, and went to heaven completely alive, right? Now, how to explain that, I can't. And that's not where I'm going to settle in today. But it's it's a great, great mystery that um, that only other time that we hear of Jesus in Acts is, is not a physical appearance. These are the last of physical appearances right here that we're reading about. Uh, we get these kind of... Uh, appearance in, in spirit nature when um, Saul meets Jesus, right? Or even um, uh, when Stephen is met by Jesus, he sees him, sees him above, right? But these aren't actual physical appearances. This is more of like the spirit of a presence of Jesus. And so, um, but here Jesus is being taken up to heaven. And this is, this is great Old Testament language that they would be really familiar with. Suddenly two men appeared in white robes, as I mentioned, these Galilean men, he knew who they were, right? So anytime you see two white robed men in the Bible, uh, you know that you're, you're dealing with angels. And it, it's language that even takes you back to uh, when Mary and they go to the tomb and, and, and they go to find Jesus, right? To, to do the embalming, right? The stone is rolled back in the two guy, two white robed men are there, and they ask questions as well. Why you do look? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Right. So there's this this great questions that always come from angels, and kind of make sure that we are missing. Make sure that we aren't missing what really is happening right here. We're not missing what really is happening here by these good questions that are asked. Why do you stand looking up towards heaven? This Jesus who you've been, who's been taken from you will return in the way that he came, right? So there's language there, this reminder that the Messiah is going to come. And if you go into Ezekiel and you look into some of the apocalyptic uh, scripture, there's a, there's a way that the Messiah is going to return. And so um, the, these two robed, white robed men are saying, hey, he's, he, he isn't up there anymore. He, he has left us. So don't look up. And, you need to be present. You need to be here. You need to be with what's surrounding you. And so in that instance, the response to that is that they, they, returned, they returned to Jerusalem um, from Olivet. Now, I, I, I'm kind of excited because I'm no, I'm no Brenton. Brenton is, is such a great teacher, um, great historian, loves history. In fact, has helped me even uh, open up history to uh, something for me to enjoy and like uh, as well. Um, but I, I, I kind of feel like sometimes he does something where he has a leg up on all of us teachers at, at Refuge. Um, he's like Dora and he's always pulling out the map, right? And I, I think like I'm, I got to do a map every once in a while, right? You remember map? From Dora. I mean, maybe I'm dating myself, but my kids grew up on Dora. And so I've got a map for us today because when you read that they, they did a Sabbath day's journey away, it doesn't mean that it was Sabbath. It's a description of distance. It's a description of how far that you're allowed to travel on a Sabbath day, which is roughly three quarters of a mile. So I have a map that I, I'm throwing up on the screen. Now, um, I've been there. I've actually walked this. So Mount of Olivet is going to be kind of on the right side. You'll see it. It's where the blue line starts. And, and as good as Google is, it gave me two options if I was going to walk it. I can, I can walk the 22-minute route or I can walk the 25-minute route. And I've walked both those routes. It kind of goes, goes by Gethsemane. And you kind of drop down and they call it the um, Kindred Valley. 
and it's a little bit of a dip. It's not that big of a valley. And then you all of a sudden are presented at the western, excuse me, the eastern side, the eastern side of the Temple Mound. And so that's where I put the stopping point, because uh, traditionally uh, the town of Jerusalem would be a little bit further west of this, this image. I showed you the mount, and then the old quarter, which is where I stayed, would be on the uh, left side of the screen a little bit further. So this gives you an idea. It's about a 20-minute walk. It's a Sabbath day journey. It's a 20-minute walk. And they returned um, to the city. They went to the upper room. And... Um, they gather back as a team, both men and, and women. It's a great reminder of how women clearly, clearly were um, so important to the early church. So important to the early church. And so I, I've loved that the, the women are included um, in the, the early church language, which is unheard of in documents like this, that women would be mentioned by name and in influence. And so there's something going on when Jesus is flipping the kingdom upside down that he's reminding us that uh, women play a significant role in the kingdom. And so they devoted themselves to prayer together with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with the brothers as well. And so here's a quick walk through that passage. Here's, here's what has kind of stood out for me. And, and, and um, I, I wanted to speak on a very specific part of this passage. And I want to be careful when I say this to you. It's a, it's a big but. It's, it's, a, it's a big but that shows up in this passage. And you're saying, Sean, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. There are kids in the room. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it is the most important thing that you'll hear today. And see, we ask questions all the time. We ask questions of like, when, when is it going to go back to, uh, when is it going to go back to the way it was, right? When is it, when is it going to go to how it used to be? And that's even conversations in our home. When, when are we going to go back to school? Um, school's wrapping up, so I don't think so. I think it's going to be summer, but is school going to open up, right? So we have all these time and date questions, and I think there's this big button, a passage that wants to remind us that it is not about times and dates, that it's about power and purpose. And that, but shows up in verse eight, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit upon you. I think that's the most important passage for all of us as followers of Jesus, that there's this, there's this passage that changes the course of how we think and the questions we ask and moves us to the power and purpose of God's plan for our life. And I think that's how I want to live. And I can't say I always do it well. I can't, I always say that my eyes are fixed on Jesus' power and purpose and plan for my life. But man, I want to move away from asking dated questions and time-related questions. And I, I want to be sensitive because all of us want to know, when are we going back to work? When is this going to get resolved? I know that if I live in purpose, if I live in power, uh, that my mind will be reset and it will think differently than it ever has before. And that's what I want to give you guys today. I think it's important that you live in that of power received 
through the Holy Spirit, right? And I want to give that to you today. I want to speak that over your homes today. I want to speak that into you today. See, so much of what's happening in, in the news today is time-related. We're talking about phase one. We're talking about phase two, phase three. That city is doing this. This city is doing this. When are they going back? Look at look at over in Arizona. They get to eat out at restaurants with no masks. That's not even crazy. That's not even fair. When do we get to do that? When does this return? And these are the same questions that the disciples stood with Jesus and asked. They asked the same questions. They said, they said, when are we going to do what we used to do? When is it going to go back to what we used to do? And that, that my friends, is, is where we're at today, phase one, phase two, phase three. I, it's all timing, right? And I don't want to belittle the, the timing issues. I don't want to put down the timing issues. I think these are important things, and I think there are structures in place, hopefully, that we are trying to participate in properly. And I know Breton spoke last week on it, on the suffering, uh, and the, the suffering <laughs> that was happening is not suffering like what we're going through. And I, I don't want to say this same thing today, but I, I, it's weird that this passage came up and this, this idea was exposed to me as I prayed through what would be important for our community. It, it is essential that we maintain that being the church. And I'm thankful for our president saying that churches are essential, mosques and synagogues are essential, that religion is essential, because I believe it is essential. I believe it is 100% essential. It, it calls us into this, this tension of, do, do we go back? To the building now because it's essential. I got a blog from a pastor friend of mine that really challenged me, and I want to read it to you too. And um, what I've loved about Refuge is that um, in this time of redefining um, the church, it has so little to do with the building. In fact, I was there this week, and it just it felt even like odd being in the building because we've been doing church really well and we haven't had to use the building. Do I miss the building? Do I love being there? Do I love seeing all of you? Yes. But amazing what God can do when, um, when we're challenged to use technology and connect in different ways. This, this pastor writes on, on what is essential. And I want to just read it really quick to you. Dear pastor. So he's challenging me as a pastor. I, I hate when I'm being called out like that. Dear pastor, if the greatest service to your community is your Sunday service, then you have proven you aren't that essential to your community after all. The only people who say the church service is essential are the ones who haven't matured in their faith enough to know that the church is people, people like you, people that show up, people that are generous, people that participate in community, people that check on each other, people that love each other in spite of showing up at a church building. I love that. It, it's not a program. It's not Sunday mornings. If COVID does anything, let it remind us what is truly essential as a church. It's things like sacrifice. Do you feel like you're sacrificing? It's justice. Do you feel like we're having to stand up uh, for those that aren't being cared for? I do. It's restoration. We're in a time of restoration. It's equity. It's generosity. Oh my gosh, as a church, you have been so generous to our communities and the way you have cared for our community. Prayer, inclusivity, renewal, and advocacy. These things are what used to make the church essential. 
Until we get this, we will continue to live in our own delusion of how essential we are while the rest of the culture has looked elsewhere. It's a challenging, challenging little <laughs> blog, and it reminded me of what we're going through. It reminds me of what the disciples were asking and the question they were asking as well. And so you say, Sean, you... Jesus didn't come to answer my time and date questions, and he's come to give me power and purpose. Well, so how do I live that out? How, do I, how, does, that part, how does that take place in my daily, my daily going? Well, from Scripture and from what we're seeing here, I see a couple things that I want to give to you as a plan moving forward. If we can't ask the question, when, when oh God, will we return to our uh, in-dining restaurants, right? I can tell you this. They devoted themselves to prayer. So be joined constantly in prayer. That's the first thing. Be joined constantly in prayer in your home uh, with your coworkers over Zoom. Um, join Bible studies through Refuge or any other church. Just get involved with digging in with other people, right? So they devoted themselves with prayer. The big but that I shared with you is that they, they lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's the game changer. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit, your mind, your eyes, your heart is transformed to see things the way God sees things. You, you love people differently. You participate differently. You're more generous. You're more caring. And it's not through your own power, but it's because you live in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's two. And then three, prepare for how God wants to use you. Prepare for that. We're going to go back to church. We're going to go back to uh, uh, what some call a new normal, whatever that is. There are going to be new ways to participate in the purpose and plan of Jesus Christ moving forward. And so how can you do that? Well, we can wait at home till we can go to church, or we could just act like the church from home, which is what we've been doing. And so I speak those three things over, there, over you. Joined in prayer, devoted constantly in prayer, live in the power of the Holy Spirit, and prepare, prepare for how God wants to use you. Those are the three things I want to give you. Well, I want to wrap up what I was telling you about the temple. That temple, as beautiful as it is, when I'm on that east side of the temple, on the temple mound, with, with, the, with the guards behind me, if you're catching up, and then the military behind the guards following them, come across this, this section, this section of the temple mound that is cemented in and rocked in. This morning, as I was praying about this message and I was praying for you, it, it struck me. It struck me because I've been there and I stood outside of it and I stood inside of the gate. But there is a gate, the eastern gate, the golden gate that's at the Temple Mount. And if you've been there, it's cemented and rocked in. It's cemented and rocked in. In 500, 500 AD, they cemented that in because it was the, it was the quickest access access into the temple. It was the fastest way to get in the temple. And it was also, if you know scripture and read scripture and believe scripture, it was the place that Jesus was going to come back. It was his second coming was going to come through that Eastern gate and he was going to come to reign. And so they felt that if they closed that door to the temple, that Jesus couldn't come and do what he's done. Church, it's 1,500 years later. The church is bigger than it ever has been. Our doors of our church are literally locked shut. We've been advised by our government that we shouldn't go in our building. And our church is growing. And more people are falling in love with Jesus every day. 
You can cement the door shut to the church, but you can't stop the power and purpose of what Jesus wants to do in your life. And so I'm thankful that I get to share with you from Acts. I love this passage. I love my church. I love what we get to do together. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at refugechurchoc. We hope to see you again soon.